With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, live in Sheffield to talk about the game we all love. Yeah, a little bonus episode here, throwing an extra one in during the World Championship. And we're in a very unique and special place, aren't we? We really are. We are in the Ronnie O'Sullivan shop, Phil, literally a few yards away from the legendary Crucible Theatre. As if we don't give listeners enough already. <laughs> We're chucking in bonus episodes now. And we are delighted to be joined here at the Ronnie shop by a man who has made a big impression in this sport over the past decade, most notably playing an instrumental role in the huge growth of the Seniors Tour. With the World Championship coming up at the Crucible this week, we thought it was ideal timing to speak with the chairman of the World Seniors Tour, Jason Francis. Jason, it's great to see you. How are you? Uh, Yeah, good morning, guys. Great to see you as well. Um, On the second most day in Sheffield Snooker, obviously the most important will be next Sunday when we crown our champion. But yeah, great to be in Sheffield. Great day, perfectly set up for a great final. And, you know, the city's buzzing. Tell us about this shop then, I and mean, this is this is what you set up in recent times. This is the first year it's actually been on this site, isn't it? Yeah, so probably for the past five or six years, uh, Ronnie and I have been talking about things we can do to embrace his legacy that doesn't actually involve him having to go and pop balls. Um, so, you know, we had an idea a few years ago to properly look at... Um, sort of launching merchandising signed memorabilia we know how much people love getting their autographs and signed things at the exhibitions we do and this was just taking it one step further so we partnered up with um, a company in Sheffield who already have a memorabilia shop in Meadowhall a couple of years ago and we said look do you fancy partnering with us looking at an online store all around the year but also while Sheffield's on actually doing a, a proper sort of I would say it's not a pop-up, it's more than a pop-up, but, um, you know, putting a a, a semi-permanent store here so the fans can come in and uh, not only sort of get some memorabilia, but see some of Ronnie's sort of knick-knacks and memories of his years playing the game. It's amazing stuff, and I think 
I don't know if this was the plan, I assume it was, but you've tapped into sort of the, his running vibe as well. I think that you can tell a lot of this stuff here. I assume that goes well because it looks great. Yeah, so, so the one thing Ronnie said was, you know, he, he absolutely was behind doing this. Um, but at the same time, he wasn't prepared to have substandard clothing. So, you know, people say, oh, well, I can't find a T-shirt for 4 .99. Well, with all due respect, we're not Primark. You know, the, the running range, Ronnie has kind of, he's picked out the clothing. It is all the dry fit stuff. It is the stuff that he would wear around. So um, hopefully our stuff isn't going to shrink through one wash in the washing machine. <laughs> So you say it's a, it's a semi-pop-up, how, how long are we here for? Well, we're, we're here for a, sort of a couple of months doing the championship. This will cover the world seniors as well, so we'll probably be here permanently till the end of May. Um, obviously the online store operates 24-7 all year round, but we are now looking at plans to replicate this at more tournaments, and that might be in the guise of a, a pop-up shop like this where we can work with a local council take over a vacant store for a couple of months or it might be a case of an actual mobile touring exhibition sort of van so there's a few things sort of up in the air um, we do and then embracing more than just Ronnie you know we know that uh, you'll see in here as well it's not just Ronnie stuff we do you can pretty much come in and get something signed or seen by um, a, a number of the snooker legends how did the idea start of this this shop? Was it sort of conjunction with you? You both had the idea at the same time. Was it coming from you? I know you're a big sort of uh, your business head on. Was it Ronnie sort of wanting to sort of develop his his whole sort of range? And he's always talking about business interests outside of snooker. How did it come about? Well, I think we were finding come 2016, which is a kind of year. Uh, Ronnie was meant to be not playing many tournaments that year. And so we booked in loads of exhibitions. And then he ended up entering all the tournaments as well. <laughs> so we had an unbelievable year. And we really began to understand that the, the merchandising and the memorabilia side of the business can be incredibly valuable. Plus also, you're, you have the authenticity. We know that half of the problem sometimes of securing sporting memorabilia is the provenance. Um, so being able to personally get something signed by Ronnie, being able to know that it's an official store, um, and being able to have a price range which will be for, you know, you can start at a lower end here and you can spend as much as you want. You know, ultimately, if we've now started saying, well, you know, if you want an exhibition-worn waistcoat that he's physically worn, if you want his practice balls, if you want, uh, you know, to buy his snooker cue case, then, then you know, we, we can embrace it. And there are collectors out there, but there's also fans. So, again, the start of it was really about, look, this has got to be easier for you than having to pop balls. I mean, Ronnie's not far off 50, and yet the expectation is still even here. And again, you know, one bad session, he could easily have been in the final here today. So... To be doing what he's doing at his age is remarkable. Um, and to look at the, the sort of distance between his first and last world title, I don't think you'd find that in many other sports where you've had a world champion with 20 years between winning. So this is one of a number of things we're looking at, which, um, as I say, involves him actually not having to go out there and pop balls. And and this, I'm sure you could talk about this for a long time, but what is it like to work with Ronnie O'Sullivan? Challenges, positives? How do you find it? Um, <laughs> well, how long have we got? How long have we got? <laughs> no, listen, it's, um, 
I, I, I say that my role with Ronnie is filtering chaos and trying to put out the fires before they come. You know, one of Ronnie's biggest faults is his generosity. So you can very quickly turn up at a tournament and it can start off being me and him and suddenly the circus is in town because someone who's sort of a friend of Ronnie or wants to come and see Ronnie and whereas what Ronnie probably should be saying is, look, I'm here to win the world championship. I'll see you in a couple of weeks for a dinner away from that you know he's so generous because he understands they want to come and see him and they want to be at the world championship and suddenly we end up with an entourage yeah. so I think part of my job um, over the last well as you say it is 10 years now has been being able to manage that um, but also be respectful that um, ultimately he's the player he has to decide I don't want anything I say to ever be thought that I could have cost him a match a victory or a defeat there's nothing I can particularly do that's made him won a tournament, and I would like to say there's nothing that I can do that will make him lose a tournament. Ultimately, out there, it's just the player and the table. But if my job can be to bring some stability and sort of to maintain some relationships with, you know, people and be professional, then I think that that's really why it's worked for Ronnie for as long as it has. Great. And um, sorry, I've got another one. Um, did it come about? If I imagine this story that. You were running some shows and his kids were going to see the shows. Is that where it came from? It is, it is the most bizarre story. So before, <laughs> before my life in snooker, I can't remember that, by the way, um, I used to run a, uh, a children's theatre company. So uh, my company would have the rights to things like Bob the Builder, Fireman Sam, and I would write the stage shows and produce and direct them. And one of the properties I had around 2009 was Thomas the Tank Engine. A classic. So... Um, I had already just started Snooker Legends with Jimmy and Alex, as you know, and Jimmy had kind of said, look, I've never seen Snooker Exhibitions done like this before. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Ronnie because I think Jimmy was, you know, not silly. He knew that if we could get Ronnie on the road, we can sell a lot of tickets. Yeah. Um, and sadly, Alex had passed away by then and there was a gap and Snooker Legends was still quite new. So we met, I met Ronnie um, at an exhibition they did and we started chatting and uh, he kind of asked me what I did away from snooker and then I went, ah, oh, little Ronnie's the biggest Thomas the Tank Engine fan in the world. So I went, ah, oh, well, you know, if he ever wants to come along to a show, and quite often you say these things to people thinking, oh, they'll never, never hear from them yeah. again. Of course, like the next day, yeah, right, we want to come. <laughs> little Ronnie wants to come. And so, I mean, little Ronnie was, was here. I call him little Ronnie. He's not, he's taller than big Ronnie. Yeah, he's um, not so little anymore, yeah, he's is like he? he's six foot tall. But, but at the time, you know, we're talking 10 years ago. What, yeah. he's six years old. Yeah. So we had a show in Dartford and um, he came along to it. I think... Ronnie was quite impressed at the scale and the, the, the production. But the, the really funniest thing was we'd, um, we'd partnered with an American, I digress a bit, but we, we'd partnered with an American company. So we were kind of, we were running the tour in all the UK and Europe and they had, they'd started the tour in the Far East and America. And these trains were like a ton and a half. I mean, they weigh as much as a snooker table, but they were literally insured for over a million pounds each. These were unbelievable bits of kit, right? But they had latex, fully moving animatronic faces. Wow. So the, whenever they were not on stage, they had to have a cover put over them. And there was always a big sign hung around it, do not touch the face. Mm. Because if you touched it, if you, if you ripped the latex or anything, it was about 100 grand to repair this thing. Wow. So of course, 
we, the funniest thing was we brought little Ronnie to the show and we got him to go up on stage at the end and he went up and started pulling on the face. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my Lord. So I've only just met Ronnie. Ronnie stood there, his kid's having a great time, hanging off Thomas the Tank Engine's face. All, all my staff and all my stage management are having absolute Yeah, and then, and then the funniest thing ever was that we got away with it, there was no damage done. But I went back to the show a few sort of weeks later to check in on it. And as I went backstage after the show, the sign that was uh, hanging around sort of Thomas's head, which said, uh, do not touch the face, had also underneath it, unless you're the son of a snooker player. They'd written it on it. So yeah, it was, it was very funny. We got away with it. Good. But obviously you developed a big relationship with Ronnie and, you know, been there for so many of his... If it's glorious moment. If you can bring it right up to date, if you don't mind us asking, how's he been since his defeat here? Yeah, I think he was guided. Mm. I think that the one thing you, you know, you don't have to sort of let me tell you is that he knew he was in a winning position. Um, but that takes nothing away from the way Luca played. I mean, I've never seen anyone sort of play like that against Ronnie here. Mm. You know, this, this place in Sheffield is... It either makes you or it breaks you. And I think the people who who sort of come through and can handle it, they, they become real champions. It can be defining, people say it defines their career if they're successful here, but it also can define the way they play in the future because there's no harder place to play. So I think that he came up against someone that played unbelievably well, but I also think that he's incredibly disappointed because if you look from the outside, there was an opportunity there this year. And just thinking generally about, I mean, it's sort of the million-dollar question. We get different noises from Ronnie. What does, do you think about what he thinks is his future in this sport? Is it many, many years to come? Is it five years? Is it more fluid than that? Um, I mean, Ronnie's involved in so many different things now. I mean, you know, the, the difference with, with Ronnie, I think, that he's embraced a lot of things that a lot of sportsmen don't do until after they finish their career. So, you know, every year, yeah, we get the offers for the Jungle, the Strictly, the Masters, all those come in. And you actually, actually get Strictly? Yeah, I think he's had them all over the time, but certainly the Jungle, Jungle almost every year. And I think at one point he made a mistake of saying, oh, I, if ever I was going to do one, it was Big Big Brother or something. So then, well, every time that was on, it would come round. So it's not that he can embrace things where it would take sort of weeks away, but like he's done, he's done the documentary, which is sure to come out. The book took a lot of his time. Um, uh, the masterclass he's been doing with Alan McManus, you know, there's a lot of things, the, the, the memorabilia, the exhibitions, the shows, there's a lot of things he's been doing that really, as a top-class sportsman, he shouldn't have time to be doing those things. So, you know, Ronnie's work rate is absolutely incredible. You don't see him off in Dubai lying on a beach. You don't see him, you know, he's generally busy all the time. So... Where where he goes, you know, we're talking about things all the time. He's certainly not finished as a snooker player, but I think he realises that, you know, he cannot keep defying <laughs> logic forever. There's going to come a time where he's not the world number one, it almost happened here, and there's going to come a time where there won't even be a debate about whether he is the best snooker player in the world at that moment. You know, there comes a time where people would still probably say now, OK, Ronnie O'Sullivan on his day playing his very best, is still the best snooker player in the world and he can play again. Give it a few years. They used to say that about Stephen Hendry. No one would say now Stephen Hendry's the best snooker player in the world. So time stops for no one and ultimately where Ronnie's been quite clever, he's already seeing that coming. He's not going to wait and then, oh, I've got nothing, I better start this. He's already embracing those things. Yeah. 
I'm sure we could talk about Ronnie forever in a day, but yeah. we'll move on to the seniors. Yep. Um, tell us about when it starts, just give us the basics so people know where to get tickets, how are they going? Yeah, well, it, we're... Touch wood, I'm hoping this will be the most successful World Seniors event ever. Um, we, as of this morning, we've sold over 4,000 tickets. We've got the strongest field ever, there mm. is no doubt about that. We have got um, some new players again this year, which, which is great, and a few current professionals that have just fallen off tour coming into this. Um, how they cope with a single table at the Crucible, which is another thing that people don't realise. They'll go, they'll something like, ah, oh, Mark Davis has been at the Crucible so many times, he's an outright. Mark Davis has never played in a single table set yeah. up at the Crucible. No. There's yeah. many different factors, you know, so we're gonna have a really healthy crowd in, we know that. Um, other things I'm really proud of, you know, we're launching Seniors of Sheffield Day yes. on Friday, which is a new initiative um, around my 50 for 50 scheme. So we've got 650 local people, aging population, living in sort of isolation, vulnerability. I've teamed up with Sheffield Age UK. We've got 650 of them coming on Friday. So when Joe Johnson goes out to play, he'll play to a full house. Yeah. I mean, that, that'll be incredible, but we're also doing good things. You know, we'll have 15 other Sheffield charities represented. So although it's about them coming and seeing the um, snooker, that day's also about them coming, networking with each other, seeing what Sheffield is doing for the ageing population and realising there is help out there. I mean, my fellow director on Seniors, Rohit, you know, he's done some unbelievable research and there's a, there's a staggering amount of people that can go five, six days without seeing another human being in that ageing. So if we can do a little bit on that, um, and on the other side of it, we, we've started working with the care workers charity. The care workers get very much forgotten because they're the people generally who are caring for these people and that's where there is a massive gap. So we've got the care workers charity as well. So. I know that once the event is on, the snooker will kind of take care of itself. But the other things we're trying to do in the city are, are important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember you telling me about that initiative a few months ago when I came down to the 900. It's a superb one. Very impressed with all of that. It's, mm. uh, it's another great thing about the city of Sheffield and it's a special relationship with snooker. You know, there's a lot of talk about when we may or may not move away at some point. But there is something special here, isn't there? Listen, undoubtedly, there is. I think the, you know, I've seen a lot of kind of back and forth this week. I mean, whether whether Barry spoke to someone in Qatar or not, I, I, you never know. If he didn't, it was a brilliant marketing move. Because <laughs> what he did is he motivated Sheffield into a response to basically, you know, what everyone wants is a bigger venue in Sheffield. Let's cut to the chase. Yeah. As lovely as the Crucible is, and it happens with Wembley, it happens to all these places, um, you know, part of the issue that uh, this venue has at the moment is that it's just not big enough. And what's happening is that because of the lack of capacity, some of the real snooker fans are being squeezed out of that. If this was a 2,000-seater, if this was an Ali Pali, there'd be plenty of scope to put in those more reasonable price tickets to allow any snooker fan to come. Because you're squeezed on capacity, the demands come from the corporate world and embracing the hospitality, that's where you've got the disconnect at the moment. So let's hope that you know, they, they do manage to do something. I mean, there's not many, I mean, going back to my theatre background as well, there's not many cities in this country that would have two theatres next to each other. Yeah. And, and to sustain two theatres is unbelievable. Now, the Crucible used to be what we call a rep theatre. So, 
they would have a visiting company of paid actors who work all year round just putting on a and then the Lyceum would be what we call the receiving house so if Greece is on tour or Rocky Horror they'd come into the Lyceum now there's an argument to say that you know the rep side of things has disappeared a lot you know could the crucible be built upon could it become a permanent home of snooker that's the thing I'd be looking at first thing I'd be doing is say listen tell you what you do let's buy the crucible theatre Let's buy it, let's turn it into the, the head office of World Snooker. Let's, let's expand it to get our 3,000 seats in. Let's use the Pons Fordiero as permanent qualifying. Let's actually make Sheffield the home of snooker and have everything based here. That'd be one way around it. Then again, I'm not in charge. I like it, <laughs> I don't mind it at all. Well, I mean, we had Brian Wright on here, didn't we, a few days ago, Phil? We'll probably talk about that more. What a, what a, what a marvellous guest he was on so many different levels. Now, he complained quite strongly, as have many fans to us, about ticket prices for this tournament now. Are, are you particularly careful now with how you market and price your tickets? Uh, because there are some fans that I think may... And I'll tell, we'll tell you the lineup in a moment for the World Seniors coming up one particular night, absolutely mouth-watering, that might think, hang on a minute, the World Championship is getting a bit expensive for me, I might have to buy a ticket for the seniors instead. Well, let's hope so, Nick. <laughs> I mean, ticket prices only become a problem when you start selling out. Okay, and that, that's, any promoter will sell that. And all promoters say, the perception is, oh, we love the fact it's a sellout. Well, we don't, because that we've probably could have sold one more ticket. Okay. So a sold-out isn't a great sign. Any, any promoter will tell you that. Now, unfortunately, at the moment, we don't have the pulling power of an O'Sullivan or a Judd or a Robertson to be able to command those ticket prices. And the same thing, you know, but at the same time, we also don't have the capacity problem we're not filling every seat so far so therefore you can come to the world seniors for 15 pounds i mean i took my wife out yesterday for for a coffee and two coffees cost us more than 15 pounds do you know what i mean so sometimes you have to put things that, that must have been london well it's still it could be yeah it was london it was london <laughs> but, but still i know because i'm from london i can say that but you won't get much change out of 10 12 pounds for yeah. a couple of fancy coffees and yet what we're saying is you can come and enjoy four hours of top class snooker two two matches in a session for like 15 pounds i think our most expensive seat is probably 45 something like that for the final um don't exactly quote me don't hang me for that but it, it was between that 15 to 35 kind of thing and i think to see two matches um, of top-class snooker in the Crucible Theatre. As a snooker fan, and that's always what I think, I think that still represents good value. Um, I can't speak for what World Snooker are doing. It doesn't look great, the empty seats. I get it. Um, but, you know, this is also Sheffield. And maybe that what they think should what works at Alexandra Palace may not automatically work at Sheffield. Maybe that's a slight difference, you know. Um, but... As I say, they would have to justify why those ticket prices are there and, you know, that, that's for them to work on and, and fill, I suppose. Mm. Well, let's tell you about the lineup then for this World Seniors Championship. Uh, kicking off on Wednesday with Lee Walker against Gerard Green and Mark Davis against Mohamed Carey. Then on Thursday, we've got Ken Doherty against Alfie Burden, Tony Drago against Vito Pupolo. Friday, what a lineup! My goodness, Joe Johnson against Adrian Ridley, Peter Lines against Ben Hancorn, and then what a night! Goodness me, talk about crucible greats over the years and crucible legends. We got Stephen Hendry first up against Darren Morgan, and then Jimmy White against Philip Williams. Was that deliberate putting them both on the same night? Well, yeah, I think that 
when you kind of schedule matches, you've got you've got to think about okay. Um, I mean, there's a little thing of a king's coronation going on this weekend. So, so <laughs> we, you know, much as we want to be the main event, we we've got to understand that there there are other things going on. Although, to be honest, we're a uh, we're a massive great alternative to that. You know, I think mm. our viewing figures will be very good. Um, I think what you've got is you've got a little bit of something on every night. You know, Lee Walker, defending champion. I mean, what a story! He was off tour last year. So people talk about the seniors and people, you know, talk about what it can or can't do or whether it should be supported more or less. But Lee Walker fell off tour last year, came and became world seniors champion, you know, got into the champion of champions. His coaching career has gone through the roof. You know, what a year he's had. He's been better off not being a professional. And I think that's, you know, if I was going to say, you know, about the seniors tour is that the seniors tour has so much potential but it needs more than just Jason Francis getting behind it you know the WPBSA has absolutely embraced it um, and understand what a what a vehicle this could be um, I don't think WST fully has yet I mean there's always a scramble for tour cards you know before COVID we had six tournaments a year I think Jimmy White earned 60 70 grand that year um, the intention when I did the deal with Barry to basically say let's form a world seniors and let's use the lower rank pros and we won't claim I always envisioned that would involve more cooperation with WST now for whatever reason that hasn't happened but you know that that's life but I believe if they were using more of their resources to get behind the seniors people like your Mark Davis or it's like wouldn't suddenly be falling off a cliff when they when they finished their pro career if, if they someone who's given 30 years to the sport had six or seven seniors tournaments to go to then it would mean that you know what's happened over the years whereas a lot of them go well what am I going to do now what am I going to do I'm no longer a professional my only option is to go back to Q school and and Q school's getting harder and harder to get through so I still believe the seniors tour it's not perfect by the way looking back now 40 might be a bit young you know, when I started the I must admit, I've, I, I have said that on this podcast, and yeah. I, I wonder whether it should be 50, bearing in mind that most of the greats winning the biggest titles in the game are in their 40s, which is a bit unlucky for you in some ways. But Listen, that, that's a valid comment now. I, I'd say back in 2015, when we formed World Seniors, there weren't 40-year-olds winning major tournaments. Yeah. Right, so you yeah. are talking eight years ago. Mm. Ronnie was 38, 39. Yeah. No one, I think, expected this run of. Yeah. Um, and if you, and I, and I would still say, you take the class of 92 out of the tournaments that have been won in their 40s, it's perhaps not as, as dominant as you think. But I absolutely accept you've got Robertson, I think, turns 40, as he's 40 now, yeah. mm. Murphy, Selby. I absolutely believe that in hindsight, the difficult situation as I have now is if you, if you went to 45, say, what you can't do is punish all those amateur players who've supported the tour or have been waiting to yeah. get to 40 or at 40, 41, um, who now think, oh, that's great. Now I've got to wait another four years and they've got no snooker for four years. Um, now, the bigger argument is, should their focus be on the seniors tour or should it be on having more amateur snooker for them? So, I mean, they can't just rely on seniors, but... I do. I don't think, given what's happened now, I would. I would absolutely agree with you. I think there's a big argument that 40 might be too young uh, to be a senior. 
You know, in my darts, it is 50, but we started it at 50. Darts is a slightly different, but I've still got the same issue in darts. I mean, Peter Wright is over 50. He was world champion last year. So, so it's never going to be perfect, um, but also you, it, it, it's, very, it's not easy to just say, oh, sorry to those. I don't, know how, I don't even know how many tour players we've got between 40 and 45, or even 40 and 50, but I know if I turn around tomorrow and said, oh, we've decided it's now going to be 50, we'd probably decimate 100 tour players overnight. So is there an argument to say, okay, it's slightly older if you're a professional? I mean, the big clamour at the moment is that we're punishing success. So Dominic Dale last year had been invited to the World Seniors because he was outside the 64. Then I believe Wembo got suspended or whatever, and he, he won a match. He, he got a walkover in the world, qualifiers. Yes. He was due to play yeah. Wembo, got a walkover. Then he got himself back in the 60, he got to 63 or 64. So we punished his success and took him out of the World Seniors. Now, you have people like Mark Williams, who's a great advocate for saying, look, why not let them all play in it? Now, what a perfect storm that would be for me. If I could suddenly have, be able to invite Ronnie, Mark Williams, John Higgins, Stuart Bingham, then I go to a sponsor and say, by the way, then the prize money goes up. Then, and it doesn't affect, if you and I, Phil, are entering a qualifier to get to the Crucible, do I care if Ronnie O'Sullivan's waiting at the end of it? No. I'm not thinking, oh, that's unfair because I could have played Stephen Hendry at the Crucible. <laughs> no, I'm at the Crucible playing snooker. Give me Ronnie O'Sullivan. <laughs> Do you know, so I, I'd like to see it all opened up. Now, I believe from the other side of it, there would have to be some considerations where at the moment we obviously don't clash events, and I, and I get that. But for me, I don't see any reason why, even if it was former world professional champions or anyone any pro over 45 or uh, could be invited still not take any opportunities away from our qualifiers so that's important you know we we have a field of 16 we reserve the right to invite eight because commercially with all due respect to them we can't go to the bbc and say by the way it's phil haig v jason francis in the first round would you like to put that on prime time? <laughs> I've seen you play, Phil. I know you're not that bad. But I don't think even Q. I don't think even QVC would buy the rights <laughs> up to that one. But you, but you, you take my point. The whole seniors tour would benefit massively from me being able to invite all of the pro yeah. tour, not not being excluded from inviting the top 64. Sure. Um, you mentioned the BBC there. I think it's fantastic the deal you've set up with the red button on, online. How did that come about? Um, and how did you come up with the idea? Well, I can't take all the credit for it. Obviously, there is a, there's still this whole thing that seniors is me. I mean, it, you know, I'm the kind of face of it. There is a, there is a board behind it now. Um, we co-opted David Murray onto the World Seniors Board a couple of years ago, who was, who comes from the BBC. He was, he was the rights person who used to do the deal with Barry many years back and Rodney Walker before that. So um, he helped sort of facilitate the meeting. Obviously, securing the crucible and securing the fact it's on the back of the world, that worked very well. Um, and longer term, if we bring back the UK seniors or we bring back the seniors masters, if I can get that on the back of the UK pro, and the BBC will take it. We know the numbers are good. Um, and in some ways, as you know now, so much more sport is being pushed towards iPlayer Digital Red Button. So it's no longer seen as a, oh, you're not on the main channel. Well, actually, so much sport now is, is on, and they're more accessible. Yeah. So our numbers, we know, are incredibly good on the BBC, and um, they'll, they'll take more senior sport, no doubt. 
do you have any issue, and I don't want to sound patronising people, but the older generation will be, be an older generation watching snooker in general, but especially senior snooker. Have you had any issue in sort of getting over the red button and online? Yeah, I mean, they'll always be... You know, I, my, my auntie's 90 years old, and she, I have a, she has a two... I call it a two-press barrier. <laughs> if, if the TV remote takes more than two presses, we're in trouble. <laughs> so, you know, the fact we got the seniors darts on Channel 5, there is no doubt that did such incredible figures because it was one press. Yeah, right. five. <laughs> um, so this time we have to go to red button and then we have to go to, uh, go to it. But it's like anything. If people want to find it badly enough uh, they will yeah. so I can't tell you what impact it does have but I, but I, I see I see as I say so many sporting events now moving quite a bit of their coverage onto the red button or the iPlayer um, so we are gradually everything's going to migrate there eventually because yeah. I'm a TV nerd I've been looking through the schedules and the coronation of the king is absolutely dominant on, on Saturdays it's on BBC One, it's on BBC Two with sign language, it's on ITV. So I've, what, I've, what I've come down to in my head is it's basically the coronation of the king, SpongeBob SquarePants, or the senior snooker. <laughs> so that's a, what, what a holy trinity that is. You're I, one of three. I was going to say, I think Sp- <laughs> SpongeBob's a tough call. <laughs> you're, to I don't normally, you're not normally less speechless, <laughs> are you? <laughs> no, no, I actually think, because initially the BBC did say to us, look, you realise that this is going to dominate all our channels. And I said... But I also understand, and I'm not giving a personal opinion no, here, that some it, people don't. Aren't interested it, in the coronation. It can be quite divisive. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah. so for all those people who, the thing with the thing with the coronation or any of these weddings or the big events is, there's quite often five or six days of build-up for the sort of ten-minute champagne moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, the world will watch when the crown goes on the king's head. I get that. Not all the world might not be watching the build-up on Wednesday night, going back over Prince Charles's childhood. Yeah, yeah. At, uh, in Scotland school or whatever so I think we'll actually pick up quite a lot of viewers and as I say the other thing happens is that people watch two things at once now yes. they have the TV on and they have the, the laptop on or they have the iPad on or... so again we're, we're, we don't live in a world where people have to make a single choice anymore absolutely um, if we want to move on for seniors unless you have anything else on there Nick? I think we, we, it's time to talk the 900 isn't yeah. it I mean goodness me I know you were there Phil Haig so you, you saw it first at hand People were watching that in their numbers, weren't they? You had a nice slot late at night, great yeah. for night owls like me, and you had some very entertaining snooker. How did the idea come about? It literally was an idea that um, I came up with and uh, everyone said no, and everyone said <laughs> no again, and they said no. Why did they say no? Well, just, just because, you know, there's a lot of established... People already have a commitment to snooker on their channel. So... You know, we, 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 I, li- I, live in, I live in two sports dominated by matchroom. Let's cut to the chase. And a lot of these people have very long existing relationships with Barry. So therefore, and I'm certainly not the new kid on the block, but it's sometimes hard to get through the door to even be listened to. So it's about perseverance. It's about being in the right place at the right time. Um, I had an opportunity to do a pitch to sporty stuff. Um, I came up with the concept of the 900. You know, the, the, one of the things snooker can't do is give you a finish time. And that's a real challenge with television, real challenge. And even you find it here, where, you know, the moment... 
BBC will cut away from a match and everyone will scream. But what they don't realise is more people would have been screaming if Harry Bikers didn't come on. <laughs> we, we, we live in a very kind of insular world where we live in the snooker world. But ultimately, there are a lot of people out there who want cash in the attic, yeah. who want homes under the hammer. Yeah. So the beauty of the 900 is that we could go to them and say, look, we'll give you a three hour programme. Um, timing wise, great for you. I'm glad you loved it. It killed me. <laughs> um, it started off, I was thinking, it's great, I can work in the day, go go to the, the club at 8.30, do the pre-production, finish at 1. What I didn't quite understand is I was still then having to be up at 8 or 9 in the morning for work. And over 25 nights, that that takes its toll. And that's one of the challenges I kind of face. You know, a lot of what I do is driven by me and my personal time. And I'm not 20 anymore. <laughs> and it, it, it was tough. It was tough. Doing 25 nights was tough. But there is no doubt we found something. We captured something. Um, and what we did do is we we gave TV exposure to probably 70 to 80 snooker players who'd never even been on television before. Um, and, it, and, it, and towards the end of the season, the sad thing was, by the time we got to week seven and eight, it was doing brilliant TV numbers, but it, you know, we went from a standing start. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, listen, it was a breath of fresh air. It was long overdue. Um, I can't be the savior of amateur snooker. That's the other problem I'm dealing with because we've done it once now. It's everyone like, oh, come on, do this for that. Now do something for the juniors. I can't do it all. I don't have a, I don't have a matchroom team, you know, it's still very much driven by me. So. If anything, the message from that 900 season one is that other people within the sport should see that there is life outside of professional snooker. And there is, there's certainly enough quality in amateur snooker to make it a watchable product on TV. That's, that's what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And the players sound so grateful to have the opportunity of playing for big money really outside of the professional game. Um, so you called it season one there. Is there a season two coming? What do we know? Yeah, so season two, we've, we've pitched it together. Um, it is all going to rely on, obviously, sponsorship and broadcast. Um, so we're working with the channel. We've, we've put together a, a longer season, which would also include a week for pros and a week for women. So that would be the idea that we would we would not only do our amateurs again, but we'd have a week that was uh, purely to get eight to twelve pros in um, to kick that off and get them playing it. Because because I, I, I do truly believe outside of uh, that the nine hundred could be could be something that could catch on with people because you, the, the the problem with the problem with snooker is, is if you and I go for a lunch hour. We might get one game in, we might get halfway through the second one, and you're always against the clock. And you're, the, the beauty of the 900 is... We, we don't get that many in, Phil, do we? <laughs> no, but, but, but we, we could go to a pub and say, look, we know we can have three games of the 900 and still have a chat. Yeah. So we can have a best of three, or we can play three, because they're going to be 15 minutes. Um, we can get it done and dusted. We're not going to be messing around with safety for long times. So the rules, the rules kind of work. But... 2020, the 100, the, you know, it's worked in other sports. Mm. So why... The shootout, I know we have a version of that, um, which is still a very unique tournament once a year, so I get that. I think the 900 with the 20 second shot clock and a 15 minute does allow for um, slightly more of a game. Um, but as I say, we can, get, we can get an eight player event done in three hours, which for TV is perfect.
I think that's an interesting sort of idea in terms of getting it into, you know, especially in London now, everything's like everything, uh, like an activity on a night out. You know, the flight club and the axe throwing and the pitch and putt and uh, the swingers and whatever it is. If they could get snooker into that, that's such a market for an expansion and the 900 could be the answer to that, I suppose. Yeah, and, and you know, the, quite often the problem you have with that is the size of a snooker table. So, you know, we're in the shop now, but down there you see my four-pocket table that we developed with Ronnie. Now, I'm working on a concept called 15-ball smash, which is basically going to be played on a four-pocket table, just with sort of 50, we won't be red, to be a new colour, and the cue ball. Um, you know, smash them up, pot any ball and go on a run of numbers. So I can play you, um, and it's like we count up. So we could, we might be like even table tennis, a race to 21, or it might be a race to 50. Um, it's almost like a billiard thing. You, you you take your turn and score as many points as you can. Then the player comes in, but you're racing to 100 up. Or so, so that's an idea that we're working on at the moment. Um, so it's all about safety, attacking, not not safety, all about smashing the balls open, attacking, potting balls, working off four cushions. Um, you know, Ronnie's played it a few times. He loves the idea of it. And the beauty of those tables is you could absolutely have lots of them in clubs. Yeah. Twelve foot by six foot sneaker tables are hard to have a lot in. Yeah. So so I get it. You know, I get it with as I say, places like Flight Club and the Golf Club, they're brilliant. And it's becoming it's like this community sport. You go out as a community to play these evenings, um, rather than just a you know, like two people and snooker clubs and stuff have got to evolve if they want to survive. Indeed, and we look forward to maybe some more 900 what sort of um time will it come back and you, you're not sure about the channel yet it might be the same one who knows yeah, no we're still we're still talking to the same channel i mean i'd like to uh i'd like to obviously stay with them and build it if we can um you're still probably looking at q to q3 q4 um next year um but if, if it doesn't happen we'll do something else with the 900 it's, it's not it's not stop we're talking about doing leagues with it we've got some clubs involved all the scoring software is out there now for the clubs to use so you know there's the 900 isn't going away that's certain for sure great well this Ronnie shop has been doing fantastic business in the 40 minutes we've been here it's got a bit quiet and that's because we've got to go and watch some live snooker film we'll go and do that but we'll have a full review of course coming up at this tournament in a couple of days' time. But before we go, let's have a quick word about two extraordinary semi-finals here. First of all, uh, I mean, goodness me, what a comeback from Luca Purcell against C. Dryhe. How did he do it? Was it a mixture of C falling away a bit? Was it just Luca's brilliance? I mean, we're just still... We're actually still reeling, aren't we, Phil? <laughs> yeah, I think it was a bit of both, wasn't it? C, probably just about the pressure finally got to him. It felt like it was bound to come at some point, and I suppose it did then. Um, the sort of the enormity of what he was about to achieve, getting to the final, did did strike. But Luca was amazing. It was the same against Ronnie, wasn't it? He just got on a run, and he's the kind of player that uh, is very, very hard to stop when he gets on that run. So, yeah, amazing stuff, though. And um, Hopefully C will be looking at the positives already because a debut, debut performance to get to the uh, semi-finals, amazing stuff. And what a monstrous uh, semi-final Mark Selby, Mark Allen was. I mean, goodness me, 16-10. He thought Selby's going to do it, he's going to win it at 10pm. That's what Stephen Henry said, he should have won it earlier. But it, there we were, <laughs> nearly 1am. Typical snooker, he got over the line 17-15 to get in the final in the end. Yeah, I think we all said that in the press room that, um, when Alan was coming back. He was like, Selby's going to win this. It's just going to take an extra three hours or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, and that's what he did. Um, 
Yeah, it was. I mean, it was completely opposite to the other one. It, you know, that was a crash bang wallop semi final, and Mark and Mark was. Uh, I don't know what the opposite of crash bang wallop is, but it was that. Um, but yeah, uh, very very solid from Selby. So hard to beat here, isn't he? Um, and it set up what is an amazingly intriguing final going on right now. It really is, and we'll look forward to reviewing that in detail. Word about Brian Wright, what a guest. I mean, I saw him a couple of nights ago. He's been very moved by all the messages, and, you know, it's very important to say that, you know, it was so brave and open of Brian to be so candid with us, and I know, I'm going to say it's going to help people. It's already helping people. Yeah, definitely. Uh, everyone's, well, a lot of people are sending him some very, very kind messages, um, and Brian's getting a lot of support about it already, which is ideal and yeah hopefully the message gets home it's good to talk so yeah now thanks again for brian he was excellent great stuff we must finish with jason remind us again where can you watch the world seniors in the uk have a word about abroad where can people see it so the world senior starts at seven o'clock british summer time in <laughs> on the bbc red button eye player uh, matchroom live um, around Europe and of course we've got players from Egypt and uh, sort of Canada and then we also have uh, Zebu TV and our Chinese streaming channels as well Great, best of luck with the tournament Jason we know it's going to be a great success, we'll certainly be watching and well that's just about it then as I say we'll be back probably with you late on Tuesday, early on Wednesday for a full review of the final and the tournament but for now, Phil, I think we're going to say goodbye to everyone, aren't we? Go and watch some snooker over that old place, the Crucible. Yeah, there's a little match going on at the minute called the World Championship Final, so I'd get watching that. But thanks again to Jason, it's been brilliant to be here. It really has been brilliant. Jason, you've been a smashing guest, and thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Talking Snooker. For now, from Jason, Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.